Amen. Uh, one or two notices before we carry on. Um, so I've mentioned about the town-wide prayer gathering on test. You didn't pass Tuesday. Um, this coming Thursday is the first gathering of the yet-to-be-titled men's ministry. In fact, we might call it the yet-to-be-untitled, yet-to-be-titled, as yet-untitled, yes. Um, so that will be here at 7 o'clock. Thank you. Uh, I'm a ventriloquist dummy. Steve is the, the, the act. Uh, so 7 o'clock this coming Thursday. We're just gathering together to pray, to seek God, and to see what he's got to say about the way forward uh, in, in the whole area of men's ministry because it's been prophesied over us that that will be a feature of who we are. Are there any other notices I need to give out? In that case, we can release the children. Thank you very much. Hope you've had a great time worshipping with us this morning and can carry on and worship some more because the last thing you want to do is listen to the preacher today. I'm allowed to say that because it's me. You hear the preacher last week, complete speculation, talking all about somebody in the Bible we know nothing about, making up that they're a Yorkshireman, and all sorts of things. Wouldn't believe a word of it. Well, I do actually, but yeah. Can I just say, the, the worship, not the worship, the... Um, the dance team this morning, there was a particular anointing on it this morning. I don't know if you felt it as I did. I had a tingle at one moment. It doesn't happen very often. It was a tingle. It was a, oh, that's good. That was a tingle. So thank you, uh, ladies, uh, for your ministry this morning. There was something particularly that came across in it and obviously released that, that moment that we had to just let go of something from our childhoods if we needed to do that. So I pray the Lord's ministered to you. Uh, in that moment as well, if, there's, if, there's, if it's brought something to the surface and that's where it stayed, then please see uh, David and Irene or others that you trust um, after the service and we can help you take it off the surface and be gone and be done with it. Amen. Amen. Okay, now we should have a slide coming up right now if I do that. And I'm going to play you some music. But wait until my first slide comes up. That was an excuse for you to talk amongst yourselves. Am I plugged in? That's my first question. Yes, I am. Yeah, we're all right on this end. Double check, I've done what I need to do at this end. Tell you what, I'm going to play this piece of music whilst the slide's coming up. Are you ready? You don't know if you're ready, because you don't know what it is. Make myself a difference in a room 
There's a few smiles of recognition around the room. Gonna put my good foot forward. But a lot more confusion. Stop being influenced by fools. Excuse me while I exit stage right. So much depression. Can't keep track of it no more. So who is it? Straps on your shoulders. Straps on your back and on your hands. Bob Dylan. Sun's pissing your side. Blood and water flowing through the land. And the song's called? Well, don't know where... Have I stopped that? Called Change My Way of Thinking. Or Gunner Change My Way of Thinking. And that's the first lyric there. That's what we're talking about this morning. Changing our way of thinking. So what verse of scripture does that remind you of? Romans twelve. God Snow Steve. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. So don't think the way the world thinks in your mind. Think the way God thinks. Yeah, it's quite simple. But that raises the question, how does the world think? What is it? that governs the way the world thinks. Now, when Paul wrote this to the church in Rome, well, he did it to encourage them to think differently. So their current thinking, when I say current, I mean obviously back in the first century, their current was based on two philosophies that had been developed around about 300 years previously and underpinned Greek, because they were Greek, but then into the Roman way of thinking. And it's quite important we understand these because it, it hasn't changed. Those philosophies are still absolutely prevalent in the world and in the church today. So when we read change your way of thinking, be it from Paul or from Dylan, um, then we think, well, okay, so how do I think? How do I approach things? What is my way of thinking? And how can I change that without actually you know, changing who I am? Because it's wired into me. So that's all we're going to look at this morning, the way we think. Can you do that with me? Cool. So we'll start with Socrates. You've had Dylan and you've had Socrates. You know, the, the whole arc of culture you're getting from me this morning. So 450 BC, he developed the idea that the physical world was unreal. Where have I heard that before? Oh, yeah, that's it. Well, that was the sound of a lead balloon 
hitting the ground. Clearly, I watch movies more than most people in the room do. The Matrix. The Matrix. Don't focus on how to bend the spoon. Why? Because there is no spoon. It means nothing to you if you've never seen the film. But okay. That's what that image in there. But it's the same thinking. In fact, the movie The Matrix is about that. that everything you see is not real. It's, yeah, that's right. It's, it's programmed in. And it's, it's, yeah. So it's the same thinking. But that's what Socrates developed. Physical, bad, non-physical, good. You know, I hear a lot of preachers talking about, oh, this world. Oh, we're in the pits. Oh, if only we could get to heaven, you know? I'm exaggerating, but that's, the, that's the, uh, the ethos. God made a beautiful world, and you and I are part of it. Yes, it needs redeeming, and we as his kingdom are the right people in the right place to do that. The world is not bad. Worldliness taints the world, but the physical world is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. God made it good, and we, through our salting, I'm going to make it even better. And it's not about distancing ourselves from anything that's pleasurable or enjoyable or anything that's, you know, uh, you know the whole issue of, uh, of money and goods and possessions the church has struggled with for centuries because of this thinking. If you've got it, it must be bad. Therefore, get rid of it and have the things that you can't hold in your hand, obviously, which are all important things about love and faith and accepting his grace and caring for one another and all the fruits of the Spirit, all those good things. But it's not that they're good and the tangible is bad. It's that it's all together lovely. But this was widely adopted in the Roman Empire, and consequently much Scripture was interpreted from this mindset and still is. That way of thinking. So we're going to read a few scriptures. So if you've got your um, physical Bibles or your non-physical Bibles, both of which are good. So your fruit-based device. Uh, we're going to look at Galatians 5, 16 to 25. There's a few verses. They're reasonably long. I'll read them to you, but you may want to read them in your own translation. I prefer the New American Standard. Uh, so that's what I'll be reading it out of. Okay, here we go. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Then we go into a list here. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. And your list in your translation will use different words, but it's basically the same things, obviously. I am warning you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us be guided by the Spirit. So Paul's teaching of the Spirit and the flesh, using the words pneuma 
and sarks seemed to confirm this Socrates philosophy. Spirit good, flesh bad. So the ethereal good, the physical bad. And that's how, it was, that's how it was read. That's how it was interpreted. Galatians was written long before Romans was written. You know, so you say, no, don't, don't be conformed to that way of thinking. Look at it in a transformed way because it's not about physical and non-physical. Right? But that's how we look at it. We like to, or in society, we like to think of in terms of good versus bad. You know, as a child of the 60s, 70s. That's what I grew up with. The cowboys wore white hats and the bandits wore black hats. I would be seen many a time playing cops and robbers. We called it cowboys and Indians. I'm not sure that's politically correct these days, but Native Americans, or that's probably not right either, is it? But anyway, so First Nationers, is that right? You got Juanita, you tell him that's right, yes, okay. That's what I played as a child. This idea of them and us is nice and comfortable. It seems to drive a lot of American foreign policy, of course. Yeah, We are the good guys, therefore you must be the bad guys. And it's a bit black and white. And it's, you know, that's, it's very dangerous to see the world through those eyes. It's called dualism. Us and them. Christian and non-Christian. Okay, yes, I know that's, that's true. But if we're saying it out of a, an idea of we're in and you're out, there is a danger. Because that's not really how God looks at the world. He says, this is my world. I love everyone. Actually, I died for everybody. I'm, I'm doing a bit of work on um, church history at the moment. Some of you might know. And to realize the pain that the early church went through on the whole understanding of who did Jesus die for. He died for everybody, but only some accept it. Therefore, does that mean he only died for some? And we're talking hundreds of years and bloodshed of trying to decide where does the truth lie in that? If he knew, because he's out of time, that only some were going to take it, he only died for the ones who were going to take it, to, to accept faith. Well, there's, a, there's a sense in that. But he died for everybody. That's true as well. And suddenly I've got these two stances. He died for everybody, or he died for the elect. Difficult. But it comes from looking at it from a black and white issue. Us and them, in and out. Good and bad. And that's not God's way of thinking. Simple. He doesn't look at it that way. Flesh does not equal the physical world when Paul speaks of it. Flesh refers to the old sin nature that we have. I know you know this, but let's remind ourselves. The old self, our former unredeemed life. Let's sacrifice the flesh does not mean Let's distance ourselves from anything good in our physical life, in our physical bodies, in our environment, in our family, in our house, in our possessions, etc. It doesn't say that. It says sacrifice and put to death that which he has already put to death in us, our old unredeemed self. 
And when he says spirit, he's not talking about the non-physical world. He's saying he refers to the real you. The new creation transformed by Christ. It's the old you and the new you, if it's easier that way. We're putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Those who do them will have no place in the kingdom. We just read. Oh, well, I've done some of them. Since I'm a Christian, does that mean I'm not a Christian? No, no, just say, that's your old you. Why are you trying to let it live? The new you is full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the new you. Don't you realize that, says Paul? And yet a Socrates Greek stroke Roman mindset says, if I do these good things, I'm a good guy. And if I do these bad things, I'm a bad guy. I'll let you into the secret. You've all done some of those bad things, and you've all done some of those good things. I'm not, you know, please tell me if I'm wrong. And probably since you gave your life to the Lord. Yes? Okay. So it's not a black and white issue. It's a, you are redeemed. You are a new person. This is the real you. So throw off. Throw off the old skin. Throw off the old you. Because it doesn't matter anymore. It's not real anymore. It's what you used. Yes, you might have been like that for a long time. And it fits into your family, your culture, your mindset. Whatever makes it comfortable might be there. But it's the old you. The new you is the real you. It's the redeemed you. And by its nature, it does those good things. It's cause and effect the other way around. I do bad things, therefore I'm on the bad side. No! I'm redeemed. Therefore I do good things. And if I do bad things, I've forgotten I'm redeemed. Can we lighten up on ourselves a little bit? Can we say, actually, I am redeemed. Actually, I am completely perfect. In God's eyes, I can be nothing less than perfectly holy and special because that's how Jesus sees me. That's how God sees me through the blood of Jesus. And if I've done something wrong, all it means I've forgotten that. I've let myself down because I'm, I'm an idiot. And I've done something wrong because it's habit, because it's comfortable, because I got myself in the wrong situation, because I made wrong choices. But it doesn't change who the real me is. The real me is redeemed. Transform your way of thinking. Don't look at what you do. Don't look at what you say. Don't look at how you think and decide which side of the cops and robbers you must be on. Am I wearing a black hat or a white hat in this episode of my life? I think, you know, that's it. I'm having an early night. I go to bed. I put a different hat on in the morning. That is not the way you think. You think, idiot, why don't I do that? Let's just carry on with the real me from here on right now. Amen. Yeah, amen. I agree with that as well. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The life that I now live in the flesh not in the physical, the life I live in the kind of old way of living, I do it in faith. So the reality of my life in faith is not the old life, the flesh, it's the new redeemed spirit life. 
We are not waiting for death. We are not waiting for the rapture. We're not waiting for him to come and rescue us. We are not the remnant hanging on with our fingernails and hopefully one day, you know, it'll all be over, as was the main thrust of most of the preaching in my childhood. That's not the case. We are the people in authority. We are the people building God's kingdom. We, the church, globally, are the ones who are bringing about, through the salt of the earth, the transforming power of his, his glory into this physical world. Why? Because we're in it. And if we allow our redeemed lives to be the way they are supposed to be, the world will recognize it. And the world, let's be trite, will be a better place because we're in it. It's actually quite a powerful phrase. The world will be a better place because I'm in it. Wow. I didn't realize how powerful that is. The world, the world will be a better place because you're in it. Let's take that off the greetings cards and let's believe it in faith. There's a transforming power in it. But it's so easy to treat Christianity as little more than a moral code to help them make sense of the world and to reassure them that they're on the good side. And there are a lot of people in a lot of churches who are viewing our faith as nothing more than a moral code. Cause and effect are the wrong way around. If I do good, I must be on the good side. No. If you're saved, you'll do good. And if you don't, you're an idiot. Remind yourself, you're saved. And that's the new you that does things. Can we lighten up with ourselves? Most religious people try to control their sinful flesh through doing good things and obeying God's law. But Paul says in Romans 8.3, For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man as an offering for sin. So the law, the list of good things, good behavior, what God's looking for, what the law was powerless to do, God did through Jesus. So by trying to do good, we are wasting our time because even if we did, it is powerless. There is no power in good behavior. That's right. There is no power in being good. The power is is in recognizing that we are not good and we need Jesus. And in accepting that, we will be transformed and be less bad and progressively more good the more we allow him to, through faith, affect every aspect of our lives. Have we got it? I'm giving you culture today. That's what I said. So would you like a bit of opera? Oh, it's Oprah, actually, not opera. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. 
I love this quote. I just came over across it the other day and I thought, that's so good. I've no idea where her faith is. It's all a bit vague in America, because they're all professing and you're never quite sure where they're coming from. But she said, we are not human beings trying to become spiritual. We are already spiritual beings trying desperately to know what it means to be humans, to be, to be human. And I, I think there's a, there's a truth in that. We are already spiritual beings in Christ. We are transformed people trying desperately to understand what does that mean in our day-to-day lives, in our humanity. I think those are true. I'll give, I'll give a tick for, for Oprah there. That's, that's the next president of the United States, apparently. Um, so if I've read the press. That's what it says. Anything could happen. Let's be realistic, you know. Well, if the Russians wanted to. Um, okay, so let's look at the second aspect. I said there was two things. The first way of thinking was dualism, black and white, good and bad. We need to purge that from our Christian experience. The second thing is logic. Now, Aristotle introduced the concept of logic. Socrates' student was Plato. Plato's student was Aristotle. So we've got a few generations there in the same sort of Greek school. It was there. Hang about, Dave. Logic is a sensible thing. Anything else would be illogical, Captain. If the individual facts are themselves true, then the conclusion drawn from them must also be true. That's what logic is. And I I use this every day of my life. My car needs fuel to run. I have no fuel. My car will not run. That's the sort of thought process that we go through. Yeah? And we start with a fact, and we build on that fact. Of course, there are other ways around it. If you just tape the... uh, the needle on your fuel gauge it works fine apparently um we start with facts and we build on facts now i'm a scientist by training i'm a i'm a chartered chemist right so i've been through the whole gamut of uh, of the scientific method as it's called you start with first principles you then build on that and you build on that peer-reviewed journals will then say yes we all agree with that so that's now fact the, the established fact. So then you can build on that and build on that. And so you can make conclusions based on the facts that have been agreed by everybody else afterwards. It's, it's how we do things. It's logical. It's Greek thinking. It's actually not how God thinks. Am I really preaching that God is not logical? Yes, I am. We may need an edit on the video. But that's what I'm saying. Our faith is based on truth, not fact. Faith is based on truth, not fact. 1 Corinthians 1, 17 to 18 says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would would not be made void for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of god where is the wise man where is the scribe sorry where is the debater of this age has not god made foolish the wisdom of the world for since in the wisdom of since in the wisdom of god the world through its wisdom did not come to know god God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, Greeks search for wisdom, 
but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I hope you get in the, the context of all that. Paul is clearly saying that what he is preaching is foolishness. Where did he preach it? Or where was the audience that he wrote this to? Corinth. Where is Corinth? Greek, Greece. To say, to the Greeks, what I'm saying is foolishness. He's saying, it's okay, guys. I know that you're going to struggle to understand what I'm saying. I know that you are going to look at this logically and say, it makes no sense. I know that, said Paul. I'm, I'm okay with it because I haven't come to convince you. This is not in the cleverness of my argument. I'm not debating it with you. I'm just going to tell you the truth. I'm not here to convince you. I'm here to give you the opportunity to accept Christ. I'm here in a demonstration of power not in cleverness of my argument. Very clear, that's what he's saying. And he's been really open and, and self-abasing with himself. And yet, oh, I don't know if I can share the gospel with somebody. What if they ask me a question? What if, you know, I, can't, I can't tell anybody about what we do at church. They might ask me a difficult doctrinal question. Paul would say, just say, He'd say, don't worry about explaining it. Just show them. And the demonstrator of the power, okay, that might be miraculous signs at your fingertips, but it might more likely to be the fact that you are now a different person because you're living differently. You yourself are the demonstration of the power that says, look, I'm an, I don't understand all the doctrine, mate. I'm sorry, but hey, hey look at me. Look what's happened. You knew me last year. You knew me 10 years ago. Look at me now. Can't argue with that, can you? Yeah, that's what Paul's kind of saying here. Yeah, okay, lay hands, raise the dead, do demonstrate the power, but you are the power already. Because you will never convince anybody to give their life to Jesus. Isn't that right, Shambia? You can give the absolutely most foolproof exposition. Therefore, mate, you've got to agree, haven't you? you? You said that, I said this, you said that, I said that. Therefore, God's real and you need to accept him. And do they? No. Because it's not about the cleverness of the argument. It's illogical. Faith is illogical. And approaching it logically is a huge barrier. Our faith, if our faith was dependent on our understanding, then what we're saying is our minds are greater than God. I'll believe what I understand. Fine. So how, God, how big has God become now? <laughs> to the level of my understanding. Not all of God. Now, just the bit that I can understand. I don't want that as my God. I want so much more than I could ever understand. And if I understand part of it, I will rejoice in that. But I will accept I don't understand. 
God's loving grace on me. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. His understanding is beyond comprehension in Psalms. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. The peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. Don't fall in drab of thinking that in olden days, before science, people were ignorant. But now, we have knowledge and understanding. We have philosophy and science. Now, we can understand God. They thought that back in the book of Romans. We understand it. We have philosophy. We are educated people. We know all this, Mr. Paul. I know know what you're saying. We understand. I know where you're coming from. Oh, yes, that's fine. I know it. In their head. And God says, you'll never understand me. You will never comprehend me. I surpass everything you could ever, ever try and understand. So why are you trying to? Why Just enjoy it. Just enjoy the effects of my power in your life. And if you try and understand it, fair enough, I'll limit myself. I'm paraphrasing for God now. Forgive me here. Right? We can't limit God. He's limitless. Therefore, accept the fact we cannot understand it. You'll know as well as I do. You perhaps will have had times where finances were a bit thin. And yet, we seem to have come through it. I don't have quite the faith that Gordon clearly had with his £1,000 envelope, but the same thing happened to me this week. I was going on business to a company. Central Birmingham, multi-story car park. I knew where I was was going. Pay and display. It's all right. It's You pay on exit. I've just got my cards with me. Get there, pay and display. Oh, not a problem. I'll pay by phone. My account had expired because that card had expired. I've got half an hour before I need to be in a meeting. There are no shops I can go and you know, get some cash out of. I look on the floor. Or I put in my pocket first. I have 50 pence. One pound 70 I need. I have 50 pence in my pocket. I look on the floor. £1.50. Thank you, Lord. And there was even a tithe in there as well, wasn't there? There was no change. And you know, as I did it, I heard God say, I won't say audibly, but I heard him say, when you need it, it'll be there. And I could take that promise, not for £1.50, but for tens of thousands of pounds that we will need in our business and in our lives as time goes on. And God said, be assured, when you need it, it'll be there. pound fifty meant a huge amount to me. Far more than a car parking ticket and the inconvenience that would have been of paying the fine, which is probably the route it would have gone down. Uh, you know, it was him saying, it'll be there. Thank you, Lord. But when you have the faith of Gordon and Jane, it's a thousand pounds. Amen. Where do I get there from there? Okay, yeah, so let's not think it through. Have you heard of what's been happening with science? It interests me. The further and further, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, real deep physics here, you know, subatomic particles, quantum theory, etc., etc. I said I was giving you culture, not science, but you have a little bit of science here. The deeper they get, 
the more they're realizing that there are things happening they have no understanding of. There's one particular experiment I heard about a while ago where they, they got down to a subatomic particle. I forget what it's called. And it's kind of like got two elements to it. And let's say one's a plus and one's a minus. Okay? We're talking things well within, the, within an atom, within a proton, within a neutron. So it's a plus and a minus. And if you change one to be a plus, the other one becomes a minus. Yeah? If you change it to be a minus, it becomes a plus. So if you change its polarity, they do that. They then separated these two subatomic particles. I have no idea. You need a pretty thin knife to do that. But they separated them. One was in the University in California, and one was in the University of, I assume it must have been in Massachusetts, you know, Boston, you know, other side of America. Changed the polarity of the one in California, and the one in the East Coast changed. Freaking them out. When they were together, it kind of made sense. They had the theories, but now these are thousands of miles apart and yet know that they're linked. So the theory starts coming out. It's nothing to do with the matter. It's to do with the forces between. <gasps> they still don't understand what gravity is. They'll be open. I don't, I don't, I don't know, what, what, I know I can see what gravity is, but why it happens, no idea. There is no working theory on why gravity happens. It's a bit freaky. But the beginning to say, actually it's not about the physical world. There's something happening. And lots of big science, big name scientists are beginning to not mention God as much. It slips out. But to say there is some forces at play here that is way beyond our comprehension. So the whole, you know, God is dead, science has disproved it, you won't hear now. We are post that. Those of you in the 70s and 80s remember that's what was it. You know, well, science has disproved God. As you know, science has actually created a big opportunity for faith. So it's not about our understanding. Paul did not use logic in his teaching. He is something far more powerful. Now, we're going to have a little bit, a bit of fun here. We're going to have a bit of a play as to try and understand how Paul taught things and the power that exists in illogicality. Are you up for this? So, have you got two hands? I think we're all right. We're all okay, right? So, left hand and right hand. So, the idea, he would put a word in one hand and define it. So... Let's start with that. So, you tell me, what does the word again mean? It's not a trick question. Repeated a second time, again and again and again, right? So, put your hand out. That's in your, in your right hand, or whichever one it be. So, that's the word. you got the word again there. Then we put a different word in the other hand that, is, that cannot exist without one. Now, what does the word born mean? Created, come into being once. So in you holding two hands, two words that cannot exist together, like born, a one-off thing, and again, happening a second time, they can't, logic says these things cannot coexist. But Paul says, put one in each hand, embrace it, and something new will happen. Something will be 
If you can accept that these two polar opposites can exist outside of your logical thinking, revelation comes. You must be born again. What does that mean? Ah, so it's not a physical birth, it's about a rebirth. Ah, I get it now. I get it now. They didn't, when Jesus said it, what do you mean? We have to, I can't crawl back inside my mother's womb, they said. Approaching it logically, Paul in his teaching says, just hold both these things together and something new is born. Should we do another one? Put your hand out then. I place in it the word mother. So what is a mother? A lady that's had a child. And this is a family show. Careful how you answer. What's a virgin? A lady who's never been a mother. So we put both hands out and we have the phrase virgin mother. Cannot exist. Cannot happen. Let's reject it. It's illogical. Or... All right, create something new, God. I challenge you. And the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they'll call his name Emmanuel. Can you see something powerful comes to life when you hold impossibilities in each hand? Yeah, you've got it, haven't you? Let's do a few more. Jesus is fully divine. Jesus is 100% God. Jesus is fully human. He is 100% human. And I tell you, looking in church history, there's, you know, blood was shed on this one. It must be 50-50. I'll give you 70-30. Seriously, we're talking church fathers would have this debate. No, he's 100% God and 100% man. But that can't be. I know it can't be. With our logical mind. But the moment we say, all right, don't understand it, but I accept, Jesus, you were 100% God and 100% man, then, for it was fitting for him, for whom all things and through whom all things, uh, through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to, perf- to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering. For, the, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of his people. A bit of a, a long verse there, but it clearly says he's fully human, and at the beginning it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are, are all things. Right. So, fitting for him, who is God, in all things, to become fully human. Don't try and understand it with a human understanding But the moment you accept it, pow! The power of God is there. God, in human likeness, who suffered the temptations, the difficulties, the anxieties that we have, who we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize because he's been through it all and more, and brings the divine into it as well. Because otherwise, he's a divine being walking through life a million miles away from our experience. That's not right. Or he's just a good man who said some good things. Well, we don't accept that. He has to be God. Otherwise, the atonement for sin makes no sense. Hold him in both hands. Should we do another one? 
You ready? Have you won this one? <laughs> now they are polar opposites, aren't they? You cannot be a Jew and a Gentile. Uh, right, yes? You cannot have both of those. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles, were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You were a Gentile. Got it, yes. And strangers from the covenant of promise. And without God in the world. Yes, I get it. I'm a Gentile. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he made both groups into one, broke down the dividing wall, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man. Polar opposites cannot exist together. But if I'm willing to say, okay, I'm not, I'm not a Jew. I have no Jewish heritage. But I accept there is a Jewishness about my faith. If I hold both of those things in my hands, pow! New revelation comes. We call it the one new man. We're not becoming Jewish. We're not rejecting Judaism. We're saying I can hold both these things in my hand. And the moment I do in faith, new revelation comes. As powerful as new birth or the virgin mother. Powerful stuff. Why? Because it's illogical. Because it's completely illogical. Should we do another? I was saved as an individual, wasn't I? I've not joined a club. Jesus died for me and I had to respond personally. My faith is my faith. So why do I need to waste my time with all you lot? It's my faith. Oh, no, no. We are his church. We are a community. We are all in it together. Okay, well, there's plenty of you. I'll just sit and fill the pew on the back row then. That's okay with me. Plenty of people up front. They'll do it. In fact, it's quite entertaining. I'll come along. It's great. Can you see what the, you know, if, if, you, if you choose one of these hands as your primary philosophy, one leads you into not needing to go to church, and the other one leads you to attending church. And that's all. I accept that my faith is about me, but I also accept that I'm part of this. And Jesus then goes on to say, sorry, Paul goes on to say, we are a body. So as an element of a body, you are, of course, an individual. You are a finger. You are an eye. You are a foot. You are an individual. And you've heard me preaching before. That's what it's all about. It's about you, your calling, your ministry, your individuality, but cannot exist on its own. It has to exist in the context of the church, the body, his body. Another? Enjoying this. I'm saved by faith alone. As long as I long as I confess, as long as I say I'm saved and I believe, it's all that matters. I'm the thief on the cross. Okay. But I'm supposed to be holy and different and do good things. But if I'm doing good things and being different and being a visible representation of Christ, I don't need to. Because my faith. I'm saved. Not my actions. It's getting a bit grey here, isn't it? 
but you can begin to have a Christian philosophy which is all about faith. And you know, there are whole denominations who have preached it's about faith, there is no law. Many of them would be particularly sexually immoral, as we would describe it. Lots of people would preach in the nude, be thankful. You know, it's, it's, you know, because to be honest, if you just have the one I've got on the left-hand side there, there is no law. I'm saved by faith. And if, that's, if there's a full stop after it, which there is, you don't need to do anything good. Shambia, don't people say that to you on the streets? So, it's not about doing good, it's just being, you know, faith. Well, that's r- ridiculous. Surely I've got to do good things. No, it's about faith. So, that, so what you're telling me is, I could be a really horrible person on my deathbed, say a believer's prayer, and now I'm saved. And as, a, you know, as you're witnessing, you swallow hard and say, yes, <laughs> that's all right then, I'll carry on. Because if you don't say that, you're denying that we're saved by faith. And yet, we laugh because we know that by being Christians, we are naturally going to be... Didn't I say that 15 minutes ago? The new self, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, generous self-control, this is who I am now, look at me. It's just a natural part of who I am. I'm not doing it, I am it. But if we focus purely on the right-hand side... We've slipped into legalism. Oh, look at him. He doesn't do any of those good things. He's clearly not a Christian. How do you know? Where's his faith? You don't know. You're looking at the fruit. Ah, oh, but by the fruit, you'll know them. Yes, I know. Also says, don't judge. Um, but by holding those two things together, suddenly, pow, it's just about faith, and I've got complete freedom to believe or not, But as I believe, I'm transformed and changed. Can you see? Something new happens. You have faith. I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You know, this transforming power. Let's do a couple more. You can't be both, can you? You can't be weak and strong. I'm a weak Christian. I'm a strong Christian. Don't we do that? We grade ourselves. Oh, I'm I'm not as good a Christian as they are. Or maybe I've had a bit of a weak Christian week. We might not say it as such, but that's kind of how we think. Based on what we do, probably. Paul says, when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. Don't try and consider how good you are in your Christian life. Accept the fact that when you're bad, that's actually when you're doing your best. And when you're doing your best... When you're strong, enjoy it. Because they don't coexist. So don't try and make them coexist. But when you accept it in faith, pow, new revelation comes. There is one God. God is triune. That's, that's not, you know, it's, it's impossible to explain it. And again, lots of. Hundreds of years spent and great divisions in the ancient church. There is one God. Of course there's one God. We are a monotheistic religion. There is one God. But he has three parts. 
how does that work? Don't know. Is it a third each? No. They're all complete. How can that be? Don't know. So it's not even, and it's not sacrificing common sense for some mindless faith, as people will tell you. It's actually coming above a spirit of logic that will seek to suppress every individual and the church in particular. See, I'm coming above it. I am dealing to declare God is one and God is three, and I believe it, therefore it's true. And in believing it, pow, power comes. You know, and you can do this on anything. It's all about the new, it's all about the tradition. Yes. <laughs> yeah? So I'm not, this is not a quote from Scripture. This is just reality of Christian thinking. This is the way we have already done things is not necessarily a bad thing. Releasing the new of the church is not necessarily a good thing. Embracing both, pow! To see prophetic words and miracles and healings released in the church in the context of written liturgy and incense will blow everybody's minds. Because we can accept it in the, let's call it the free church movement, can't we? We don't have the pews. We don't have the stained glass windows. We don't have all this. And we do all this crazy stuff. Let's have a bit of the crazy stuff in the established church. What would that do to the nation? What would that do? But if we inadvertently say you can't have the new because of your tradition... Because it's illogical, we fall into the same trap. Let's release the new. And if the traditional accept it, pow! A new revelation comes within the established denominations. Hear what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm just trying to sort of expand our minds into, let's be open to accept it. Because we do a lot of this the prophetic word, the rhema word in this fellowship. It's an important part of who we are. On its own, we will quite rightly be criticized that we're making it up. I grew up on the left-hand side, where it was all about the scripture. I have a good, solid brethren background, and I keep it in the background. Because without... You know, but if I stay there, I have no life. I have no power other than what's in the written word. But you embrace the two together, which are, some would say, mutually exclusive. Hold them together. Power. The now word bringing life to the written word. And the written word bringing authority to the now word. So that is changing your thinking. The world's not black and white, and it's not logical, the Christian world. Looking at it differently. This whole way of thinking in these two camps, it, take, it took until 1840 when some philosopher actually cottoned on to it and said, ah, right, this is another way of looking at the world. And he called it dialectic, dialectic thinking. For those that are interested, his name was Friedrich Engels. 
And he described these two hands as two, with two different words. You will know these words. He said, in one hand you have an idea, we'll call it a thesis. It just means idea. And in the other hand you will have an antithesis or an antithesis. And by holding those two, what he said from his Greek mentality is, then we can make up a compromise in the middle, which he, because these oppose each other, each other uh, but the compromise in between we'll call the synthesis or the synthesis. Now, this is not what I'm preaching because that's the 50-50 God's, uh, Jesus is 50% divine, 50% human. That is, I'm a bit of Jew and a bit of Greek, a bit of Gentile. That's compromise. That's not what I'm talking about. So let's delete that in the middle there. But the two opposing ideas is powerful. But you've already seen, when you can embrace born and again, virgin and mother, and hold them together, what is created within us is not a compromise, but something powerfully new. So I'm going to create a new word. Is there no end to this chap's arrogance? Yes, I'm going to create a new word now. Because synthesis is not the right word. But I'm going to stick with the Greek prefixes. I was going to go with life, which is vivo. But I couldn't get the word vivothesis out, so I'm not doing that one. So we'll go with neo, which means new. So, in your Christian life, take one idea in one hand, the opposing idea in the other hand, and the neothesis, like it, neothesis, word of the year, will be created. New idea that did not exist and cannot exist until we embrace the illogicality of these opposing ideas. Does that release something in you? It's powerful, isn't it? I give you permission to be illogical. I give you permission to say to people, I've got no idea, but I'm doing it anyway. And when they say, why? You say, you need a neothesis. And I can help you with that. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you we can have a bit of fun in your word. But Lord, this is foundational. This is the very being of who we are and how we think. And I'm sorry, Lord, if there's times where I've looked at the world as black and white and thought, yeah, I'm on the good side, therefore they must be on the bad side, and not realizing that we are all your children. By seeing people sometimes in other religions as the enemy. Clearly they're not. They're your children, trapped by the enemy. Well, I'm sorry for that. And Lord, take that thought process away from me and let me see the world in the holistic way that you see, where the only division is transformed and untransformed. And accepting that you died for every single person on this planet, not just those that are special in any way, but for everybody. And Lord, if 
Forgive me sometime by trying to think it out, by trying to work it out, by trying to second-guess you. Lord, I accept that your ways are much greater than I could ever understand. You are far and above anything I could comprehend. And Lord, this powerful truth that by accepting the opposing views, the opposites in your word, the contradictions that people sometimes level at us by accepting both, then the scales can fall from our eyes and new life can be exploded within us. Lord, release revelation in this room and beyond. Release revelation from those that are holding a Gentile hand and rejecting a Jewish hand. For those that are holding on to good deeds and rejecting faith alone. Whatever it is that they've got just one hand, Lord, that they might take a second hand. And say, okay, I don't know how this works, but I'm doing it. And Lord, I know you will meet them in that moment. And you will open their eyes and be imparted a powerful spiritual presence within them. Amen. 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 Thanks, Dave. Why is He's uh, been uh, expanding our minds this morning and our thinking. Amen. That was great. I mean, Paul said the things that we see around us in the physical world are not real, and the things that we can't see, they're eternal. And, you know, these, these physical things are only temporary. And we rely on the temp- those physical things, don't we? The things that we can see, we can touch, we can handle. We think they're going to go on forever, but it's the things that we can't. As Dave says, grabbing by faith those things that we need, the healing the relationships that we want to see whole and strengthen, the finances that we need to be able to do all that we're called to do, those things we have to keep taking by faith as we keep pressing forwards and not looking at the sickness or looking at the poverty or looking at whatever it is. It's seen beyond that in that uh, spiritual world that we can bring the manifestation of. There's enough resources in the world for everybody to be feed, fed, clothed and educated and poverty eradicated. There's everything that's needed in this world, isn't there? We know that, but at the moment we don't see that, do we? So we, you know, we're working with other agencies to see that happen. So that's a great, a great word this morning. I'm sure we'll have to rest this afternoon, give our brains a bit of a rest, just that we, I've been typing up, making all those notes to kind of just think those things through again. So that's great. Thanks, Dave. So have a blessed week. Uh, We'll see as many of you as we can at Elim on Tuesday evening. Um, I think they're meeting probably. I don't know whether they're doing it in the corner house or they. They may well. They'll either be in the corner house or they'll be in the main church. It's a, it's a uh, an Anglican style building <coughs> on the corner of Uxbridge Street and Moore Street. Moore Street is where the uh, fire station is, so that's that's where they'll be. Um, park on the side streets generally. I think they'll probably be in the church. I know the the training. Uh, for those that are going to be involved with the ministry, that will be in the corner house opposite the the uh, the, the, the main church building. Uh, but that will be, I think, later this month. 
something like the 18th of March. So we'll see you then. And for the, for the men uh, gathered together uh, on Thursday evening, 7 o'clock, we'll be uh, gaining entrance through the, other, the lobby door and using the, the war room. So we're going straight into war. Uh, we, we'll be nicer in, in that room together. Okay, so be blessed. Have a great week. And uh, bless you all. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for the teams that are making all this happen. It was great to hear the different teams being prophesied over today. And uh, maybe we'll, we'll finish off another week uh, over the other bits and bobs of the teams. Okay, be blessed. Have a great week.